in a series right now on the book of Matthew. And uh, today we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 5, uh, verses 1 through 16. And uh, I'm going to ask you guys a question. I, I need your help. Uh, I need your help. But what I'd like you to do is I'd like you to get in little groups of three or four or five or six or ten people, whatever is natural, in wherever you're at. But I'd like you to answer a question with each other. I want you to share with each other what makes a great sermon great. Okay? What makes a great sermon great? And just share your perspective. So in little groups, uh, let's talk about that for a moment. So uh, let's, let's, let me ask you, you were in your little groups, you were talking, uh, what are some of the things that you learned from the people around you? What makes a great sermon great? Ellie. Okay, so uh, it, it's about God, okay, about God and stuff, okay, uh, about God. I will just well, the end stuff is 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 understood. All right. What else, um, Jessica? Relevant. Okay, relevant for today. All right. I'm trying to use different colors here because a teacher told me I need to use more colors than what I do. Tiffany. Okay. Uh, so, okay. That's here. Crystal, do you need a new marker? You can have this one. Just kidding. Uh, so. So it's, it's uh, scriptural, all right? So we, we said relevant, but also scriptural. All right, what else? Motivational, okay, all right, all right. Motivational, what else? Somebody said applies to today? How it applies to today? Okay. Transformational, someone said, dang, man, I've, I've got a tall order to, to, to fill here. And then, uh, you know, so I'm not the only person. Charles, what did you mean by that? Okay. Okay, so thinking the needs of others, it's not all about me. All right. Engaging, that's a good word. Lively, okay? Is that lively enough for you? All right, all right. Lively. All right. Uh, Mikey. Fun and not boring. Fun and not boring. All right. 
I'll use this one, the one that doesn't mark. Fun, not boring. Oh, boy. All right. One more. One more. Teachable. Okay, and what do you mean by that? Okay, okay. All right. I like this. I like this uh, is that, that I think sometimes we put the onus of responsibility on the preacher or the pastor to preach something that grabs my attention and holds my attention instead of being humble enough to be able to listen to the Word of God and say, how am I going to let the Word of God speak to me regardless of whether the pastor is boring or not? Okay? Because, you know, if I read the Scriptures and I do nothing else, then you have a word from God. You have a word from God. Now, that doesn't mean that I'm supposed to be boring, all right? I'm not going to say that. Um, so, really, a lot of what you've said, a lot of what you've said is right on target with what I was taught at Dallas Seminary. When I was in grad school, uh, I was taught that, that, that uh, transformational preaching, somebody used the word transformational, but a really, really good sermon has to contain four things. Is number one, is it has to be true to Scripture, okay? It has to be true to Scripture. By the way, um, I am not anti-preaching topical sermons. I do a lot of topical preaching. But sometimes, if we're not careful, when guys like me do a lot of topical preaching, we preach on the topics we feel really good about, and sometimes we'll take a verse, but we isolate it from the context of either a chapter or a book, and if we're not careful, we don't really teach people how to actually read through and understand the Bible for themselves. And so part of being true to Scripture is not just being able to share with you what does the Scripture say, but how do you read the Scripture for truth. Does that make sense? So true to Scripture, another thing that I was taught at Dallas Seminary was it needs to be clear. Okay? It's got to be clear. I mean, it can be scriptural, but if I am not clear, then I failed in my task. Uh, The third thing that we talked about was relevant. And I heard this from a number of you. Uh, I heard a couple of you say relevant. And then uh, we also talked about applies to today, same thing, but it it needs to be relevant. And this is what I'm going to say. Every word of God is always relevant. All I have to do is read and teach the Scriptures, and it's relevant. However, most people need a little help seeing how it's relevant. And that's what we're talking about here. We're not talking about making the Bible relevant. The Bible is relevant. But helping, thinking through how it's relevant, that's the real issue here. And then finally, fourth, uh, was it, it, has to be, uh, it has to be interesting, okay? And uh, someone used the word engaging, uh, which I like that word. Um, you know, Mikey talked about fun, not boring. I, I don't think there's anything honoring of God to make Scripture boring. I really don't. I mean, I I think a lot of us can major in it sometimes. We don't mean to. We're really doing our best. But it's trying to really uh, preach the Scriptures in a way that's interesting. And and I've, you know, what what Jesus did when he taught, he he did a couple things. One thing that Jesus would do to make his teaching interesting is sometimes what he would do is ask a question. When you read through the Bible, as you're reading through the book of Matthew, one of the things you're going to see is that Jesus asked a lot of questions. The second thing that Jesus did a lot of is that he would also, uh, he would tell stories. And then sometimes what Jesus would do is he'd actually give lists. He'd actually give lists. We're actually going to look at a list today. 
And uh, so today what I'm going to do is I want to preach the greatest sermon that's ever been preached. Okay? Does that sound a little presumptuous? I want to preach the greatest sermon that's ever been preached because it's not my sermon. Okay? The, the Sermon on the Mount, which we're going to look at today and over the next few weeks, is the greatest sermon ever preached, preached by the greatest preacher who ever lived. It's the Sermon of Jesus. <clears throat> it's not the only sermon, but it's one of the most comprehensive sermons that we have from Jesus. It covers three chapters. And so today what we're going to do is we're going to look at Matthew chapter 5, and we're not going to look at the whole Sermon on the Mount today, but we're going to look at verses 5 through 16. So Matthew chapter 5, uh, verses 1 through 16, I'm going to encourage you, if you have your Bible, to open up there with me. Chap- or Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 16. It says, now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. That's odd, sitting down to preach in our culture. But it's exactly the way the Jews would do it. The rabbi would normally be in a sitting position and everybody else would be standing. So let's do that. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Y'all can stand for 25 minutes. I'll sit, all right? Uh, So he sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart. For they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers. Do we need more peacemakers in our world? Blessed are the peacemakers, for they'll be called the children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus goes on to say, He says, You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Uh, You are the light of the world. A town built on a, a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Today, what I want to look at, I want to look at two things with you. I want to look at two things. I want to look at the disciples' attitude, and I want to look at the disciples' mission. Now, why do I say I want to look at the disciples' attitude and the disciples' mission? In in chapter 4, in chapter 4, the the message of Jesus is summed up with these words. That, that, that Matthew tells us that the message of Jesus was a very simple message. It was simply this. Repent, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then in chapter 4, what, what Jesus does is he begins to call some of his very first disciples. And it, it tells us about how, how Jesus said to, 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 to Peter and to Andrew, follow me and I'll make you to be fishers of men. And then he went to James and John, the sons of Zebedee, and he said to them, Follow me. And the Bible says that immediately they left their nets, they left their boat, they left their father, and they began to follow Jesus. 
And what the Sermon on the Mount is, the Sermon on the Mount is not a path to salvation. The Bible's very clear. Matthew's very clear. It's not a sermon that saves. It's not even following a list of rules, doing all these good things. That Matthew is very clear. Matthew is very clear in chapter 1 that it is Jesus, the Son of God, who will save his people from their sins. It is Jesus and Jesus alone who saves. But what Jesus is beginning to do here in Matthew 5 and in chapter 6 and 7 is Matthew is describing for us what life in the kingdom of heaven is supposed to look like. What life is supposed to look like when I'm following Jesus as my king. It's talking to us about what it looks like for the disciple. That's the person who has repented. They've turned from their sin to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ to save them. And he's talking to us about what life looks like when you're repentant and when you're following Jesus as your king. Does that make sense? And so there are two things in these verses I want to highlight today. And the first one, the first one is simply this, is, is I want you to see the disciples' attitude. Is that what God wants us to live is God wants us to live the blessed life. You know what the blessed life is? God wants us to live the best blessed life by cultivating the attitude of Jesus in our lives. Now, sometimes in our world, people want to live the good life. You ever hear people talk about the good life? What's the good life? To be free? Okay. Uh, the good life, it, what, what the good life is, is I looked it up. I was just kind of curious online. I wanted to see what Google had to say. What is the good life? And according to uh, Collins' online uh, English dictionary, if you say that someone's living the good life, you mean that they are living in comfort, in comfort uh, and luxury with few problems or worries. Guess how much Jesus talks to us about living in comfort and luxury with few problems and worries. See, what Jesus says, if you want to follow me, deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. And Jesus doesn't talk to us a lot about luxury. He doesn't talk to us, in fact, he doesn't talk to us about luxury at all. In fact, the very first thing he talks to us about is what? Blessed are, no, he says, blessed are what? Not the rich. Does Jesus say blessed are the rich? He says blessed are the poor in spirit. Now, being poor in spirit, it's not about, it's not about, this is not, we're not talking about financial poverty. There's nothing wrong with a person who's worked hard. There's nothing wrong with a person who has accumulated wealth. That is not necessarily a bad thing. It's, but what possesses your heart? Is it Jesus or is it your possessions? And what Jesus says is he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. And, and, and in these first few verses here, these first 11 verses, nine different times I think it is, Jesus says, uh, he says, blessed are. And he, he begins to talk to us about the kind of life that's blessed. What that life looks like. And, and just a few things, and I'm just going to run through this real fast. Is that the number one, blessed are the poor in spirit. What does it mean to be poor in spirit? Basically, to be poor in spirit means that we recognize, there has to be an element of recognition here, but also owning and embracing that I am absolutely, completely, spiritually bankrupt before God. There is nothing I've ever done, there's nothing I can ever do that will ever commend me to God. 
I, I can't come to God on the merit of my good works. And anybody who thinks they can come to God on the merit of their good works, if you're not careful, you're living like the Pharisees and the Sadducees. That's the way they lived. But there's nothing that we can do or have done that commends us to God. Is that we have to come to God humbly, owning our spiritual bankruptcy before God. Secondly, blessed are those who mourn. What does that mean? It means basically this. It means blessed are those who are brokenhearted over the things that, that break God's heart. Now, folks, I don't know about you, but it's always easier for me to be irritated with other people about their sin than to be brokenhearted over my sin. It's always easier for me to point out the failures and shortcomings of other people than it is to own my own. And what we've got to do is if we're going to have that blessed life, we have to come to a place where our sin breaks our heart. And we're brokenhearted by the things that break God's heart. How do we experience a blessed life? Blessed are the meek. These are those who are humble before God. And because they're humble before God, they're not sharp with other people. They're not quick to put other people in their place. They're not quick to let other people know how they, you're, you're inconveniencing them. The meek are those who are humble before God and gentle with others. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. That, that, you know, what, what happens is when we hunger and thirst over all that's right and good, that's when we're going to be satisfied. But if we're hungering and thirsting over worldly things that are, we think are going to satisfy us, we'll never be satisfied. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst over all that's right and good. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are those who show the same mercy to other people that we ourselves need. Do you need mercy? Yeah, so do I. So do I. But sometimes it's not always easy to show mercy to other people who need my mercy. Sometimes it's easier for me to show my displeasure than it is to show mercy. And what Jesus is saying is, blessed are the merciful for what? They will be shown mercy. That what, what's the life that, that, that God blesses? Blessed are the pure in heart. The pure in heart. These are people, remember with, with, the, with the religious leaders, one of the criticisms that Jesus had about them is that they washed the outside of the cup, but the inside was dirty. That he described them as being like whitewashed tombstones. On the outside they looked good, but on the inside they were full of death. And what Jesus is saying is blessed are those who are pure, not just in their appearance. Blessed are those who, they don't just have a veneer of righteousness, but inside they're pure in the intentions of their heart. The blessed are, uh, blessed are the peacemakers. By the way, the other day, uh, Thursday, we had a, a gal in our community. Her name is Sue. But she was reaching out to a lot of our people who live in Wood Creek. Actually, Rachel, I saw you. You were here. But we had uh, several other people who were here. Kathy, you were here. Uh, and, and a few others of us. Chriselle, uh, uh, yeah, Josh, you were here. Of course, we were in the men's group. Then, then we were here. But but uh, what she did was she was reaching out to a lot of our Wood Creek uh, neighbors, and we had a little over 40 people here on Thursday night talking about a neighborhood crime watch, how to keep our neighborhood safer. And, and, and I believe that's what peacemakers do. The peacemakers, they promote community, relational healthiness in the community. Folks, when we do what we did yesterday, when we do things like the fall festival, and we're reaching out to people in our community, and we're trying to build bridges of trust and goodwill, we're being peacemakers. 
and we are taking steps to help people make peace with God. Does that make sense? When Jesus says, blessed, that's the reason I believe it's important that every single one of us shows up and helps out. I believe that every time we do an event like this, whether it's the egg hunt, whether it's the fall festival, whether it is, uh, whether it is our week of hope, I really believe it's important that every one of us shows up and helps out. Why? Because when we do that, we're actually living the mission of Jesus together. And we're building bridges to people in our community. Okay? Then finally, what Jesus says is, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. Now, you know, it's interesting when you read through this, is a lot of these things don't sound like a blessing. Like being blessed are those who are persecuted. I mean, anybody want to be persecuted? Okay, I heard no yeah over here. I, I mean, you know, I, I think most of us, we want to avoid being mistreated. The truth is, in life, at times, you're going to be mistreated. Make sure when you're mistreated that you're mistreated for doing what's right, not for doing what's wrong. And what the Scripture says and what Jesus says is, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. In other words, that living righteously is more important than what? Our luxury or our comfort that we want to be a people who don't want to live the good life. We want to be people who live the blessed life. So I said there are two things I want you to see here. First is the disciples' attitude. Secondly, I want you to see the disciples' mission. That what God wants us to do is he wants us to live the mission of Jesus. Have you all ever heard this before? Have you ever heard me say that, that the church is who we are when we follow Jesus and live his mission together? This is part of why I say that is that God wants us to live the mission of Jesus together by being salt and light in our community. That is something that God wants every single one of us to do. Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. You're the salt of the earth. But, you know, it's so interesting immediately after that. He says, but if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. The truth is, is that sometimes people don't maintain their saltiness. Sometimes people don't make being salt and light a priority. Sometimes people hide their light under a bushel instead of letting their light shine for others in such a way they may see their good deeds and glorify their Father who's in heaven. And part of what Jesus is wanting us to do and what the Bible's teaching us is that God wants us to live the mission of Jesus together. All of us showing up, all of us doing our part, but God wants us to live the mission of Jesus together by being salt and light in our community. So I want to take just a moment. I want you to go back to your groups, all right? And uh, I want you to answer this question for me. What are things that we can do either collectively or individually to be salt and light in our community? So to the group of two or three or eight or ten people that you were talking with before, I want you to talk about what are things that we can do to be salt and light together in our world? So I want to hear from you. I want to hear from you. What are some of the things you heard from your neighbors? What are things that we can do to be salt and light for for Jesus in our community? Michelle? Just being kind. Absolutely. Being kind. 
Judy, I saw your hand go up. Okay. 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 Okay, so we're together with other churches to, to help the homeless. Okay. Okay. Charles, you're going to have to say that again. I'm sorry. Okay. So, so being humble servants in all areas of our lives. Okay. Someone else. Meeting needs, all right? Somebody else, what were you all talking about in your group? Ellie? Just a second, I'm sorry. Do what, Ellie? Keeping hope in the darkest times, okay? So, yeah, I I think that... uh, I think that, you know, what people are hungry for in this community, a lot of people are hungry for. There's some people maybe they're, quote, unquote, living the good life and they don't feel like they need it. But there are a lot of people who desperately feel this need for hope. And by living that hope, I think, is really important. Thank you, Ellie. Someone else had one? Okay. So just pointing people to Jesus. So loving the unlovable. Uh-huh. Okay. Okay. Right, right. So just in the, you know, in those kinds of, of environments where we are running into people and sometimes if we're not careful, we're so rushed by our own little agenda, whether it's picking up groceries or me buying a cup of coffee across the street or something like that, that we're, we kind of we, we don't pay attention to the person in front of us. But, but just being, building people up and encouraging people uh, in the everyday encounters of life. Aaron? Okay. 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 So get out of our comfort zones. Yeah, I think that's huge. Yeah, I, I think that that we've got to get out of the comfort zone to get into the faith zone. And when we get out of our comfort zone into the faith zone, that's where God begins to prove his faithfulness in our lives, in our community. So did I see another hand over here? Okay, standing your ground in faith. Someone else. Okay. Being aware of and connecting with your neighbors. You know, uh, I think that we live in a world where, I, I don't want to be mean, but I think we've become a little bit relationally shallow. 
uh, it's very easy to drive up to your house with your garage, hit the garage door opener, drive in, park your car, close the garage, and not even know the names of the people who live next door to you or across the street. But being aware of, reaching out, being, being neighborly, uh, that's something that we need to recover that. Dan? Okay. Being real, transparent. You know, uh, Dan, can I, I speak to this for a moment? Uh, I, I, I love that. Because I think sometimes people think you're supposed to project this image like I have it all together. I never have any problems. I never sin. And quite, and folks, that, that's a lie. That's not true of any one of us here. You know, anybody who's convinced that they don't sin is, let me just talk to your wife or your husband, your children or your parents, and then we'll sit down and we'll have a little conference with you and we'll talk to you about those, those, those unsins that you're committing, <laughs> all right? So, so yeah, we're, we're we, you know, is being able to be real about our own personal struggles, I think that... People relate with us when they know that we don't have it all together and that we struggle. You know, that doesn't mean you have to share every dark secret with every single person you meet. But you don't. That it, you know, I just think we need to be real with people. I think we need to be real. One more. One more. It's Chriselle. Especially if you're goal-oriented at all, and I think a little bit maybe you are, and I think a little bit I am too, and, and I think that's real important. So, John, you want to say something? Okay. A what card? Oh, an app card? Okay. 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 All right. So give a gift from God. And that gift can include all kinds of things. All right, fantastic. So what God wants for us, uh, the, the two things I want you to see in Matthew 5, 1 through 16. And, and the first thing that I want you to see in this text is I do want you to see uh, just the, 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 the disciples' attitude. And I want you to see that what God is wanting for us is he wants us to be poor in spirit, meaning that we understand and recognize and embrace our spiritual bankruptcy before God, that he wants us to, to mourn or to be brokenhearted over the things in our lives that break God's heart, that God wants us to be meek, which means he wants us to be humble before him, and because we're humble before him, we're able to be gentle with others. That, that what God wants us for us is, is he, in attitude is he wants us to be he wants us to hunger and thirst over all that's right and good. That he wants us to be, be merciful, meaning that, that he wants to be people who are quick to show other people mercy they need from us, just like we need mercy from God. That he wants us to be pure in heart, meaning that he wants us to be pure, not just having an outward veneer of being a righteous person, but having purity in our intentions and the heart, motives of our hearts. That he wants us to be peacemakers, meaning that we are people who are going to build bridges of goodwill in our community. And, and that he wants, us, he wants us to be people who are willing, who are willing, in fact, uh, uh, who have the courage 
to suffer for all that's right and good. And so what God wants for us is, is he wants us to have uh, this, 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 the disciples' attitude. But secondly, what he wants for us is he wants us to see the disciples' mission, meaning that what, what he wants for us is he wants us to be salt and light in our world. By the way, by the way, uh, all of these things are well and good, but let me tell you one of the best ways to be salt and light in your community is simply live out the Beatitudes. Simply live out the Beatitudes. I think that when Jesus gives us the Beatitudes on the front end of that message, I think that maybe living out those Beatitudes in our relationships with other people is an important part of what it looks like for us to be salt and light with people in our families, people in our community. Let's pray. God, we want to... Uh, we want to praise you. We want to worship you because you are a good, a good God. That you are, God, you are holy, 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 Father, Son, Holy Spirit. That God, we want to praise and worship you because you are the creator of all things and that you are the sovereign king of all of heaven and all of creation. And Lord, what we want to do is we want to be disciples. We want to be followers of Jesus who are not trying to live the good life that this world promises, but are trying to live the the blessed life that Jesus talks about. Lord, teach us how to live out uh, those things, like being poor in spirit, like like being brokenhearted over our sin, uh, by being meek and by being um, uh, hungering after all that's right and good. God, help us to learn how to do that in our daily experience. And Lord, help us, I pray, to be salt and light in this community for the honor and the glory of your name. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.